Okay, so I'm just going to um, talk this morning about how we change, how we change as Christians. You see, God's plan or, or, or God's aim for us as Christians is to be his representatives on earth. His aim is for us to be people who are set free, who are delivered, who have our lives changed, who uh, are able to overcome the things in our life that we don't want in our life, that, to be able to walk in the power of the kingdom. And God's plan is for us to do that consistently. And he gives us the word and the Holy Spirit to enable us to do that. So what I'm going to talk about this morning, I don't know if any of you ever read a, 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 a book. It's a bestseller. Apparently it sold millions of copies. Uh, I've read it. Um, called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Anybody read it? Yeah, you see? So, several people. What it is, is it's a book written by a guy called Stephen Covey, or Covey as he calls himself, because he's American. And it's about the things that people do in order to be effective. Now, the good news is I've not got seven points this morning. Otherwise, we'd be here till three o'clock. And also, the good news is I'm not going to talk about his book. But it did set me thinking about just that title. God brought it to my attention and said, how can you walk consistently in what I've given you? How can you be effective at overcoming sin in your life? How can you be effective at bringing the kingdom into other people's lives? How can you be effective and walk in the power of the kingdom? And so I wanted to talk, to that, to talk about that this morning. Um, and it works like this, that, that we are called to be God's representatives. The Bible calls us ambassadors of the kingdom. Ambassadors are, are people that go to another country and carry the authority of the kingdom that they're going from. And so we're called to go to the world and carry the authority of the kingdom. And... If we represent the kingdom well, then we're going to be able to lead others to Christ by the way we behave and the way we relate to each other. You see, Jesus didn't say, people will know you're my disciples if you do miracles. What he said is, people will know you're my disciples if you have love one to another. So the first thing as Christians that we have to set our hearts and minds on in order to walk as ambassadors of the kingdom is to walk in love, yeah. to walk in forgiveness, to walk in, in reconciliation. And so everything we do is to be rooted and grounded in the love of God. Not just feeling that love for ourselves or understanding that God loves us, but in giving that love and understanding to others. And so that's, that's the basics. And if we, if we handle ourselves well, what the word says is that people will come into the kingdom. People will see that and they will want it. They'll want to know about the saviour that gave us that love. They'll want to know about how to walk in that. And so I, I just think it's awesome. It's just absolutely incredible that God's chosen you and me to be direct representatives of him. Yeah. 
Like, we're not, you know, like those Greek gods that, that argue over each, with each other, drink a lot, uh, do naughty things, and then at random obliterate whole continents. You know, that sort of thing. I'm glad we haven't got a God like that. I'm glad we've got a God who loved us so much that he would die for us. But we've also got a God who trusts us so much that he would send us as his representatives. He would give us the power of the kingdom, trusting us to use the power of the kingdom. He would give us his love in order to give it away. I just think that's just what an incredible God. Now, if we want to be representatives, we have to grow up. We, we, we have to be consistent. And in order to be consistent, things have to become habitual in our life. You see, habits can be made and habits can be broken. The Bible has a, a, a longer way of putting it. It calls being transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's changing the habits of your life. That's a simpler way of thinking about it. And the point is we want to break bad habits and establish good ones in our lives. Yeah. The, the, the definition of a habit, according to um, the, the Oxford English Dictionary, is this. A continual, often unconscious performance of an activity that has been acquired through frequent repetition. Okay, so it's continual, unconscious performance acquired through frequent repetition. So what, what does that mean? It means that you can change the aspects of your life that are out of line with the kingdom of God. And it means you can acquire things in your life that line up with the kingdom of God. You see, the great thing about Christianity is it offers us a chance to change. Yeah. It offers us a chance not to be stuck with who we've been, but to become who we can be. And the thing I like about that definition is it uses this word automatic. You see, the thing is that we want to be at a point where it becomes us. That we're not constantly battling away to get that breakthrough. Do you understand what I'm saying? So this is taking us a step on. We're not looking at breakthrough this morning. We're looking at the point where we change. So that we become a new person. We become that new creation that God gave us to be. And I like to think of it a bit like this. I know it's a bit of a mundane example, but having seen Jessica struggle with it and Matt's about to struggle with it, I thought it was a good example. I remember struggling myself. How many of you... Have passed, how many of you drive? Put your hand up if you drive. How many of you remember your first driving lesson? <laughs> how many of you remember trying to look in the mirror, turn the steering wheel, change gear, do all the pedal stuff, at the same time as manoeuvring in traffic? <laughs> it was kind of hard, wasn't it, when you first tried it? Yeah? You'd like, okay, what would I do? You could have Clutch him first, uh, change gear, yeah, uh, look in the mirror. Oh, oh stalled. Right. <laughs> and, and then the, the driving instructor says, never mind, try again. God's like that. He says, never mind, try again. 
because he wants us to get it automatically. How many of you can, how many of you been driving for a number of years? Okay. How many of you, and this is confession time, how many of you in the last, let's say, month or two, have found yourself driving along and not remembering where you were for the last 20 minutes? <laughs> What's the difference? The difference is it's become automatic, it's become you. You don't think about it. You have changed from that person at that first driving test. And that's how the Christian life works. God just ch he changes his inside so that subconsciously we become. We become the new creation that is, is given to us in our spirit from the day we're born again. And, and, and so I want to talk to us about this morning how you move from those horrible gear changes to driving for 20 minutes and not knowing how you've got there. It's, it's good. <laughs> Let's start with Romans 5.17. I'm just going to read this. I'm reading it from the Amplified Version. I, I actually talked about this verse at length a couple of weeks ago. Do you remember, were you here that week when God interrupted the service and I did a spontaneous <coughs> bit of preaching, yeah? I talked about this verse. So let's, let's start off, let's kick off there again. For if because of one man's failure, that's Adam, okay? Adam gave us all the problem. If because of one man's failure, that's a lapse of offence, death reigned through that one. When Adam fell, death reigned. That, when, when Adam chose to go against what God had told him to do, death and sin entered the world. They weren't present before. And since that point, sin has had a dominant effect in the world. And the enemy has had authority in the world. That's why the Bible calls him the God of this world. And so, through Adam, sin came into the world, it had a dominant effect, and there was nothing we can do about it. And, and it's the same for those who don't believe. For those who aren't Christians, they are not empowered to be able to deal with the sin in their life. That's why it's such a struggle for people to break out of destructive life patterns. Without the empowering of the Holy Spirit, they're still on that, trying to change the gears and do all that sort of stuff, out of their own power and their own strength and their own understanding. And that's what happened as a result of what, when, when Adam fell. And that's been going down for, for thousands of years ever since then. And let's go on. Much more. Now, this is God's solution. God doesn't give us an adequate solution. He doesn't give us a just about good enough solution. He gives us a much more. Can we say that? Much more. Much more. Let's try this again. I live, I live in the much more. You see, God is a much more God. He's like an abundant God. He's like an overflowing God. He's like a, he's like a well, I'm not just going to deal with the problem. I'm going to obliterate the problem type of God. That's just his nature. He, he thinks big. And he wants us to think big with him. He's a big thinking God who has more than enough for everything we need. So much more, those who receive God's overflowing grace. Now, you've got to get this. This only works through grace. Access to what Jesus has done to us is a free gift. 
But more than that, we have to understand it doesn't depend on what a mess or how good our life is. It's the same gift. And it's given to us, and it's the free gift of righteousness. When we believe in Jesus, he gives us right standing with God. He deals with our sins. He took the punishment for our sins and he gives us right standing before God. Why is that a difference? Well, what that means is that in this life, we are able to go before God knowing that Jesus has dealt with the sin issue for us and to go before him with a clear conscience, not feeling we're going to get wiped out by lightning bolts or burnt on the spot or disappear in a thing of glory. You see, before Jesus... Let's just imagine that, that I'm the high priest of Faith Life Church. Before Jesus, I was allowed to meet God once a year. And, and I had to do loads of preparations for it. And I had to have a rope tied to my uh, ankle. And I, I had bells. And, and basically, on my, on my outfit, and basically I, I would go in and meet God once a year. And if I hadn't sorted all the sin in my life, I would drop dead on the spot. And you'd have had to haul me out from behind the, the, the projector screen with your rope in order to give me a decent burial. That's how it worked. Because you couldn't go into God's presence through the law. You couldn't go into God's presence because of your sin. But because of Jesus, because he's dealt with our sin, we can go into God's presence and hear his voice. And that's a massive difference. So, putting them in right standing with himself. Okay, now, now look at this. We reign. We reign as kings in life through the mon man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. You see, Jesus has changed the game. He's changed the game for every believer. And our, our job as believers is to catch up with what he's done and start seeing ourselves as that person. Now, that verse says we reign as kings in this life. That means we're carrying authority. We're carrying authority and power of the kingdom, whether we feel it or not whether we, we can get our heads around what that might mean or not, it's nevertheless true of every believer that we carry the authority of the kingdom. And that is designed to enable us to reign in life. Now, let me just caveat. That doesn't mean life is a bed of roses. I don't know why people say life is a bed of roses, because I've always thought there's lots of thorns on roses, and if I laid down on them, it would be painful. But... Anyway, let's say life is not a bed of rose petals. Life is not a bed of rose petals. Stuff goes wrong. Horrible things happen. We get stuff horribly wrong. What does God promise? He doesn't promise we are exempt from that in the kingdom. And, and sometimes we can try and present the gospel as uh, come to Jesus and your life will be okay because he'll make it all nice. No, we live in a fallen world we, we have our own flesh and we have an enemy who's trying to destroy us. And what God is promising is that he has given us the much more to be able to deal with that. That he is with us, he is alongside us, he will take us through, he will enable us, he will empower us to take us through and enable us to take ground for the kingdom. Faith life, you're meant to be taking ground from the kingdom. I'm meant to be taking ground for the kingdom. I'm meant to be seeing life change. I mean, we went and, um, Cheryl and I went and prayed for a lady who's very, very ill. And she's, she's so ill, she's only managed to get to the church once. 
And we went and prayed for this week. And uh, we, 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 were just, we were just praying for her and just what, what a tragic life she has had. Just awful. Like, I, I've never, I, I guess I've never ceased to be amazed how bad some people's lives have been. And it's just shocking. And this lady is, she's just been through about everything you can imagine. And we were paying for her. And, and we weren't doing anything because it was one of those where the, her life was in, in such a terrible mess <laughs> and she's in such terrible pain that we thought, I don't know what to say. I, I, I have no idea what to do. And, and so I, Cheryl had no idea what to do. And, and Anna was with us and she didn't really know what to do. So what we did is we prayed that the Holy Spirit knew what to do. And this lady went into a vision of Jesus and then he came and he started talking to her and he just like he didn't sort her entire life out but he sorted three or four biggies out for her right there and then and we're going oh my goodness that looks kind of God because <laughs> I'm still thinking I have no clue what happened there but but it's just you see God gives us the empowerment to rule and reign in life but we have to use it in the situations that we find ourselves presented with. And so, God's wanting to empower us as we partner with him. You see, this is, the, the gospel's about partnering. I don't know why God chose this way. I, I, I guess it's to do with free will. But he chose it that the, 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 the body, us, would partner with him. That we would be his body, literally, here on earth, carrying his spirit, and partnering with him as he sends us. Because when we're born again, the Holy Spirit joins our spirit. The Bible tells us that our spirit and the Holy Spirit are one. That's 1 Corinthians 6, 17. It's not on there. And what that means is indistinguishable, so intermixed, inseparable. Your spirit and the Holy Spirit are inseparable. You have the Holy Spirit within you. Another, another verse tells us that we have the Spirit of Christ. And it's no longer us who live, but Christ who lives in us. And, and the real trick that we're trying to get here, the, re, the thing that I'm talking about, this habit thing, is we have to get our minds switched from, I have no idea how that works, let me try this, let me try that, let me try this, let me try fourth gear on a hill start, you know, all those sort of things. So we have to move from that to the mindset and the understanding that the truth is you are carrying the spirit of Christ. And, and, and for that to be automatic so that we operate with the spirit of Christ. And not like people trying to just work it all and get the gear changes and look in the mirror and all that sort of stuff. No, we walk in the spirit of Christ. It is who we are. And the job of the Holy Spirit in us is to take the word of God and work it through our soul. So our spirit is one with God's spirit. But the, the, the Holy Spirit within us is to take the word of God and work it through our soul. What's our soul? Come on, who's been listening? It's not on there. Oh yeah, it is. Excellent. There you are. There's the answer on the screen, carefully prepared for those who, who weren't looking like me. I didn't know I'd put that there. <laughs> your soul is your mind, your will and emotions. And they, they, they can be in all sorts of states at any one moment in time. You can be up, down, all over the place. 
you, you, your mind, your will, your emotions have been shaped by everything that's gone on in your life, whether that was good experiences, bad experiences, what you were taught at school, what other people have done to you, what you've done to other people. And, and that's shaped your mind, will and emotion. That's your soul. And the Holy Spirit is taking the word of God to change your soul. To change your mind, your will and your emotions so that you become all that you can be, that new creation that God gave you to be. And the thing about that is, it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. The, the, there are events in our lives where we can suddenly get a boost. You know, we can, we can take some high-octane Holy Spirit fuel or get a massive revelation from the Word and we'll suddenly, like, accelerate really quickly. But throughout our lives, it is a process to become that person who rules and reigns in life by the Spirit of Christ and is an ambassador of the kingdom, taking the kingdom and seeing life changed. And this is my point, and I, I put it in red in my notes, because when God said it to me, I think he was being serious, and, and sometimes when it's me that says it, it can sound a bit... But this is what he said. The point is... You are not, so take this for yourself. The point is, you are not destined to live a weak, wimpy, cowed-down life. You are not destined to live a weak, wimpy, cowed-down life. And if that's what life's been like for the last five years or the last ten years or the last twenty years, it's not your destiny. Your destiny is subject to change. You are not here to live a weak, wimpy, cowed down life. You are going to have hard times. Things are going to go wrong. Bad things happen. But this is what God says about you. In all things, you are more than a conqueror. Yes. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. He who's in you is greater than he that's in the world. Yeah. God isn't overawed by what's going on in your life. God isn't in it, unable to deal with it. This is what God says. This is what the Apostle Paul says. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You are not destined to live a weak, wimpy, cowed down life. You are destined to be transformed, to be like Christ and to overcome and be more than a conqueror. Yeah. Do, you, do you understand that? Are you getting it? Yeah. So this is how it works. You're not going to find this in your flesh. You're not going to find that change in what you want to do. You're going to find that change in your spirit. And you've got to get out of your spirit so it affects the rest of your life what God has put in there. And you are destined to stand out. You are destined to be different. And so to do that, we have to move from that idea of changing gears at the beginning of our driving lessons, to something where we are a transformed person and it's automatic to us. And, and there's some stages in that. So I'm going to look at how that transformation takes place. Is that okay? Now, if you get this and if you'll work through it yourselves, so I, I, would, I would note these points down. If you'll work through this and just try and take it before God and pray over it and get some understanding about it, this will change your life. But it's not going to change your life tomorrow. You're going to have to do this consistently because it's a process. 
So, the first thing we do when we, we're forming new ha habits is this. Number one. You have to make up your mind. Anna, number one, thank you. <laughs> you have to make up your mind which part of you it is you want to keep happy. Do you want to keep your spirit inside you happy or do you want to keep your flesh happy? And the, the pressure is this. The pressure from other people will be to keep your flesh happy. They speak to your flesh. They, they, they offer all sorts of things to your flesh. They offer you easy routes. They offer you a quick answer to make you feel better in the middle of a crisis that ultimately makes the crisis worse. But for the moment, it gives you some relief. And in order to change, you're going to have to decide whether your priority in life is to be what God has put in your spirit or is to respond to your flesh. Which bit are you going to keep happy? Which pressure are you going to deal with? And, and the point is, God doesn't put us under pressure. God helps us to deal with pressure. But the stuff in our flesh is what puts us under pressure. And the, the, the influences on our flesh that play on our flesh, it creates that pressure. And you're going to have to decide which bit of you you want to keep happy. And sadly, many of us plump for the flesh. Just keeping ourselves happy for the moment. Unfortunately, keeping ourselves happy for the moment doesn't last for a lifetime. The second thing is that this is that we, we need to realise that our problem is lack of knowledge. The, the Bible says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. Now, let me caveat that. It's not, this is, I'm not talking about knowledge of right and wrong or how, uh, uh, of rules. We, we, for some reason, the whole world out there thinks that the church has been very good at telling them what not to do. We're not here to tell people not what to do, <coughs> what not to do. That ended with Christ. What we're here to do is to help people to know what to do and how to do it so that their lives can be changed. This isn't a lack of knowledge of rules. This is a lack of knowledge of how to do it, how to get that change. And that has a lot to do with how we feel. The problem is we don't change because we wait until we feel like doing it. That's really important because that's the biggest barrier we have to change. We wait until we feel like doing it. If you wait until you feel like doing it, it's not going to happen because your flesh is under pressure. Let's, uh, what do we do? Let, let's take the example of, of an offering, church offering. If you're used to giving £5 and you hear the voice of God tell you to give £100, you're not going to... If you wait until you feel like doing it, it's not going to happen. Change 
often goes against what we feel like doing. You see, every time you increase your giving, following on from that example, you're going to have to form a new habit to be able to do that. Um, I, I remember when I was at university and I, I first came across this, this idea of tithing. That's giving 10% of your income. And, and I thought, that's, that's no way, that can't be right. And, and so I avoided any books or anything that would, would mention that. But eventually, as I, I started to understand about the Holy Spirit and the, the whole thing about baptism and the Spirit uh, started to occur to me, I started reading books about baptism and the Spirit. And I wanted to know more and I wanted to know how to move in the gifts of the Spirit. Unfortunately, those books also talked about giving and having a generous heart, so I couldn't avoid it anymore. And I realised, and, and God really convicted me, that, that actually I'm meant to be generous and I am meant to tithe. So as a student, my initial response was, I can't tithe, I'm a student. Yeah? And, but actually something had happened inside me where I thought, actually it's right to tithe, but I just don't feel like it. And so what I did is that I set myself a goal of moving from being a non-tither to a tither over three months. And what I would do is that each week I would give a bit more when I went to church on the Sunday. And so it went from £1 a week to £2 a week to £3 a week. And, and by the end, I was giving, I think it was at that time, £15 a week, which was a tithe of what the money that I had. This is back in the days where we had grants, you know, that sort of thing. And, and, it, and it's like that. You can, and at no point did I ever feel like doing it. But it was right. And now what, what, what happened is that over the years, and, and pretty rapid, I discovered the joy of giving. You know, I know I've said this before, but, but Cheryl and I don't just tithe. We, we, we want to give more than tithe. We want to be generous people. We want to be givers to the kingdom. And so, it's not like, this isn't a one-off battle. I remember several years ago, what happened was that um, the, the partnership that I was a partner in, we owned a company which was an outsourcing company. What, what outsourcing company does is they take big contracts, they manage all the staff and supply all the stuff. Uh, and basically, they, they take on a lot of uh, the work that governments and government-type organisations do. And we had an outsourcing company. It was, the, at that time, the main competitor, the, the market leader called Capita. And so we, had, we, we owned this outsourcing company. It was growing like mad. It was growing like mad. And, and it was starting to get more dominant than the other activities of the partnership. Um, but it was really low margin, whereas uh, accounting and consulting is high margin. So the two stopped going together. And we sold it. We sold it to some venture capitalists. And we sold it for quite a lot of money. And... Although there were 600 partners at that time, I got a share, one six hundredth, say, of what we sold it for, which was a lot of money. And I thought, well, that's capital. I don't have to tithe off capital. I only tithe off income. And I remember having this, this fight with my flesh because I knew I, I knew I should tithe and, and I knew I was really sort of going to do it. But at no point did I ever feel like giving 10% of this away because it was a lot of money. And I remember doing it for like two or three weeks and eventually going, okay, God, I give in. You know, I'm not, I don't feel like doing this, but I'm going to obey. 
And, and, and I, gave the, I gave the 10% away, went to the pastor church, said, you've got this coming in, what do you want to do with it? And, and he told me what he wanted to do with it. He said, right, I'll designate it for that. Put the money in. And what happened was three weeks later, I got a, a letter from the um, accounts department or the people who look after all the partners in, in Deloitte. And they said, I, you had you a tax refund. We've just agreed it with the LNRV. It's coming, it's coming to you and it'll be with you in the post in the next couple of weeks. And I'm going, there's no way I am due a tax refund. I, I'm, a, I'm like a tax, I was the tax partner. I, I knew, like, no way have I overpaid my tax here. But the Inland Revenue apparently were adamant that I had overpaid my tax and I was getting a tax refund. And it arrived and it was to the penny the exact amount I had given away out of what we got from the outsourcing company. So what do you do? I gave away 10% of that as well. You see, that's, that's how it works. And, and, but at no point ever did my flesh feel like doing it. But to see God work in your life, you have to go beyond what you feel like doing. Yeah. Does, does that make sense? So, to, so the third point is to form new habits, you have to do something that doesn't feel good. You're not going to like that. You've, your flesh isn't going to like that. But after a while, I promise you, it will stop hurting because you will see God at work. And it will become a natural thing for you to do. So the fourth thing is this. Recognise that it will seem hard from where you stand. Everything about change in life is hard. Some people cope well with change. Other people don't cope with change. Some people are horrified at the thought of change and, and, and find it really difficult. And what I'd say to you is this, in, in your walk as a Christian, it is hard to change, but it's nowhere near as destructive as not changing. Not changing leaves you in bondage. Lock, not changing leaves you locked into the destructive patterns you've got in your life. Not changing leaves you locked into not becoming all God made you to be. Not changing means that you don't walk in the fullness of the power of the kingdom. Not changing means that you, you're not transformed to that point where you see people um, changed by your witness and healed by your prayers. To become who God made you to be, you need to change. And although it's hard, it's not as hard as not changing. Changing isn't as hard as being in bondage every day to something you're not changing from. You see, it, it's, it's no fun being tired and out of breath and feeling ill and feeling just you can't do anything and your clothes not fitting because you're in bondage to a bacon sandwich. <laughs> You've got to get away from that bondage to the bacon sandwich and it won't feel good because every time you walk past the sandwich shop like Lisa works at, you're going to smell the bacon sandwich. There's something about bacon sandwiches, I don't know what it is, but for a man, that is bondage. <laughs> and, and it's not good for you. So, but it's not as painful to change as it is 
to be in bondage and fat and overweight and breathless and unfit because you're in bondage to food. But it is hard. You've got, you've got to understand this. And I'm trying to be real because real works. You know, sometimes we, we, we present, and, and, and churches and us, us Christians, we present this like fantasy land where, where all of a sudden you get prayed for and it doesn't hurt and there's no problems and life is superb. The only thing that that does is it disillusions people and they eventually get switched off. Because it's not true. The reality that the Bible teaches is that we have to change into the likeness of Christ. And to do that, we're going to have to do some things we don't feel like doing initially. Let's have a look at this verse. Romans 6, verses 2 to 4. This is uh, Paul talking about who we are. And he says this, How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? That's a good question, isn't it? Yeah. Like, what are you doing messing around with sin when you can be set free? What are you doing stuck like you are when it can be changed? And, and he's addressing this question because the question was, how, lo how much can we go on living like we used to and get away with it? And Paul's going, you just haven't got it at all. It's not getting away with it. It's been destroyed by it. So you can change. So you are set free and you no longer have to live in sin. So how can we, who, know, who died to sin, no longer live in it? Or are you ignorant of the fact that as many as were baptised in Christ Jesus, were baptised into his death? You died. The minute you gave your life to Christ, your old man died, you got a new spirit, a new life, you're a new creation. And what Paul is saying, you need to start living like it because that old stuff wasn't any good for you. Yeah. That old person, they were a mess. Then Jesus is around now to fix it. And he's saying it can be done. This is like one of the most glorious passages of the Bible is, is God has empowered you to be free yeah. of everything that holds you. Isn't that good? Isn't that good news? And God's empowered you to do that. Are you ignorant of it, is what he's saying. Because you've got to be ignorant of it if you've carried on without taking this, what he's given you. And, and so often, we, we, we don't teach that. I've heard, when I was growing up, I heard sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon that told me how bad I was. All that did is gave me more rules and more depression about how I couldn't do it. And what God does, he tells us how good we are. What is the potential inside us? And he says, get a hold of it and use it to change. Yeah. There's a big difference. And so, therefore, we were buried in him through baptism into death. So that, what? Just as Christ was raised from that, the dead... By the glory of the Father, all, even though we should walk in newness of life. God's plan is, we're new. We walk in new life. We have new life. We're going after new life. We have new life in us. We have that potential. And what the Bible does is calls us forward to live in that new life. Encourages us. Exhorts us. God, God pulls us in. He, he gives us his Holy Spirit and he empowers us to do it. And, and, he, and he compels us by his love to go forward into that newness of life. Now, 
being dead to sin, as those verses say, doesn't mean you don't sin anymore. Now, I know that sounds like a cop-out, but what I mean is this. When you get this newness of life, there will still be some sin around because your mind, your will and emotions haven't been changed. You're still trying to change gear. But what God says is this. Deep down, he has planted in you the Holy Spirit and you will still do those things, but you won't want to do it. There's something deep down called the Holy Spirit who is one with your spirit and he has changed you from the inside out and now there is a voice in you saying you actually don't want to do it. Now, you might take some time to break free of it, but you don't want to do it. Do you, do you recognise that? Do you recognise that that's what happens? Something changes and, and what you did want to do before and, and what you felt you had to do to please your mate, suddenly you don't want to do it. The pressure hasn't changed, but you've changed. Because you were raised to a brand new life, set free from sin and set free from bondage. So why do people still live in bondage? It's because they haven't had their minds changed to know that they've been set free from it and they can actually walk away from it. It... it the, the, the first few decisions of walking away from stuff are the hardest. It gets easier, but it's those first few, that, and, and often the big decisions, because they, they mean dealing with something you know you should have dealt with for a long time, but you just couldn't bring yourself to do it. And they're the hardest, but as you do it, it gets easier and easier because you're changing, and you're starting to plug into who you really are, into that newness of life. Think of it like this, this way. Um, how many of you are members of a gym? How many of you go to a gym regularly? Okay, all except two hands <laughs> went down there. Okay, that's a good pattern, a typical pattern. And, and generally, people uh, don't carry on going to the gym because they get caught up in life, it gets busy. But the other thing is, the first few times you go to a gym, perhaps the first couple of months, you get aches and pains. Do you know that the, the way your muscle grows, the way you get new muscle and the way you get healthy and fit and toned, actually muscle grows because you are tearing it. When you do exercise, you tear muscle and when it renews itself, it comes back and it's stronger and healthier. That's how it works. So therefore, what happens is you start going to the gym and it's not fun. It's great the first day, two days later, your body says, I'm not going to the gym anymore. I can't even get out of bed. And it's like that with our Christian walk. It's, we, we need to exercise that new muscle. And we need to push through. Then, but if you keep going, suddenly, a few weeks on or a few months on, you're stronger, you're fitter, you're more able. You're better able to cope with the stuff that life throws at you. You're better able to take those decisions. You're better able to see God changing your life. You feel stronger, you feel happier, you feel at peace. You feel like, like you've got something to give and you, you start to understand, my goodness, God loves me. He just loves me with this incredible love. And you start to be able to do something with it. Let's go, let's go on another verse now, Romans 6.11. Let's take this process right to the end. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, 
but consider yourself alive to God in Christ. Now, just look at that, that, that word, reckon yourself. What do you think that means? It means you've got to think that that's true. You've got to count it as a fact. You reckon yourself, you, 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 you think it through, and reckoning is how you think, how you believe. And so what this is saying is you need to start to think and count and, and, and declare over your life that sin has not got a hold on you. Because that's the truth. Reckon yourself dead to sin. Sin does not have a hold on you. Whatever you're stuck in, whatever you're doing, sin cannot hold you. If you want to change, you can change. If you want to get out of that bondage, you can get out of that bondage. You've been given the Holy Spirit. You are dead to sin. You have, Christ has overcome the power of sin in your life and you can walk free. And so you need to think it and believe it. That's all this is saying. Just believe it. And then when we believe something and we start to, you know, you're not going to be able to believe it straight away. That's why it says, it doesn't say believe yourself dead to sin. It says reckon yourself dead to sin. What that means is act in line with that truth, even if you can't get your head around it. Even if it seems like it's not right. Act in line with that truth. Reckon yourself dead to sin and put your actions in line with it. And when you do that, when you cooperate with the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit clicks in and brings a change yeah. and sets you free. The Christian life is about cooperating with the Holy Spirit so the power comes in and sets you free. Yeah. Let, let, let me give you an example. If, you, if you've got a problem with anger, I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up at this point. Okay? Let's say you've got a problem... With anger, the first thing you're going to have to do is respond to the Holy Spirit when he tells you to shut your mouth. Honestly, when he tells you to shut up, that's the first thing you've got to start doing. You might not want to shut up. You might still think, I've got a problem with anger. I feel I'm seething inside. The first step, cooperate with the Holy Spirit and keep your mouth shut. Cooperate, start doing that. The power of the Holy Spirit will kick in and your anger will start to change. And you'll find God giving you answers for it. You'll find God setting you free. You'll find yourself, over time, not reacting like you used to. The stuff that used to get you really wound up, you'll find yourself able to cope with. Isn't that good news? Yeah. Let's say you've got a, a problem with negativity, or criticism, or complaining, or gossiping. All those sort of things. You've got a problem with all those sort of things, or any of those sort of things, same answer. When the Holy Spirit tells you to shut up, shut up. And you'll find yourself not doing them as much. And cooperating with the Holy Spirit, he'll start to transform your thinking so that you become like Christ. You see, we, 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 we as believers need to start getting like Christ. And, and Christ doesn't sit in corners gossiping. And he doesn't criticise and he doesn't complain and he doesn't moan. He's positive. And he's love, and he cares, and he reaches out, yeah. and he encourages us and builds up. And so to get that stuff out of our life, we need to 
respond to the Holy Spirit when he says, shut up. And when we start to respond, he releases his power. That's how it works. So, the big problem we have as Christians is this, that we wait until we feel like doing what's right. And like I said before, we've got to learn to do what's right even when we still feel wrong. Otherwise, we won't get victory. Now, you aren't going to do that by your own strength. You do it by the word and the power of the Holy Spirit. So you've got to have those components built into your life. You've got to start getting into God's word. If, if, you, if you're the sort of person who doesn't like reading the Bible, put it on a CD. Get some CDs. Get, get Download it on iTunes. People will read it to you in your car or down your iPod. Just get some there. Start putting the word in you. And, and you know, what, whatever you think on a Sunday morning, what I say isn't enough. Yeah. It's not enough. You've got to get your own revelation, not just what God's given me, second-hand revelation to you. So, how do you form habits? I, I, one, one of the habits that I had, which I found really difficult to break out of, is biting my fingernails. So you're all now looking at my hands, aren't you? Yeah. Apart from Lucy, who had her eyes shut. <laughs> so, how do you form new habits? You form new habits the same way as you got old habits, by repetition. There isn't an easy way to form a new habit. You've got to form it by repetition. Romans 8.13 If you live according to the dictates of the flesh, you will surely die. That, that means bring about bad stuff in this life and at the end of it. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit, I would read that, if through the power of the Holy Spirit, you're not doing this on your own, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. You are habitually putting to death, that is making extinct and deadening, evil deeds prompted by the body. You shall really and genuinely and truly live. So it's this habitual putting to death. It's that habitual recognising that this cannot hold me. It's that habitual cooperating with the Holy Spirit to bring about that change in your life. And... And to do this, to, to get to the point where this is automatic, where you drive the 20 miles without even thinking about it, to get to that point, you have to choose it again and again and again. And each time you choose it, it will be easier and easier and easier because you're forming a new habit. And, and it, you, let me say this, I don't want to discourage you, I want to encourage you when it happens. You will have a period of time when it looks like it's not working. But trust me, it is working because you habitually put it to death. And it is working. And if you'll just do it soon, what you're going to find is it's not as hard as it used to be. And you're starting to grow, and it's starting to get easier. And if you keep doing it, you won't even have to try, and it will become subconscious eventually, and it become who you are. Yeah. You will be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um... I recently attempted to learn guitar. Music is not a natural talent of mine. Um, if, I, if I ever get on worship team, 
That is a signal to leave faith life. Okay? And, but one thing I did learn is that, that chord changes are difficult. When you're like learning them, you sort of, your fingers don't even stretch that far. It's quite, it's quite hard and you've got, to, you've got to do it. Now, I eventually got some sort of really rudimentary basic chord changes going pretty well for me. And the way I did it is I used to practice changing from one chord to another, just like that. Just keep doing it, keep doing it. And I saw this guy online and he said, basically, what do you do? Time yourself for 60 seconds, do the chord changes, count how many you manage to do. And then do that each day and see if you can improve until you get to this target. I'm a target sort of person. You know, I'm an accountant. Targets are me. But the point was to get me habitually doing it. And the more I did it, the quicker it became until I didn't have to think about where my fingers were going. Do you guys particularly think about where your fingers are going? You just do it, don't you? You're just strumming away happily. And I mean, like... It must be particularly tough for men because it involves multitasking, doesn't it? It's two hands and singing at the same time and reading the lyrics. I mean, how difficult is that, guys? And you did amazing this morning. Supreme multitasking this morning, guys. Don't let them girls tell you you can't multitask. <laughs> My point is this. Don't quit. Don't give up. I, I gave up on guitar. I, I might have another go, but I've given up for the moment. But don't do that. <laughs> do what I say, not what I do, okay? <laughs> because just do it. Be encouraged because you can do it. You, you know, it might sound tough, but it's not. It's tough for a few weeks. But actually what we're talking about here is being set free, having your life changed, walking in the power of God, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, seeing people impacted, seeing your life impacted, seeing other lives impacted, seeing your kids grow up confident, full of life, knowing they're free, seeing people healed, seeing people set free, seeing people delivered. This is what we're talking about. This is what God offers us. He offers us newness of life, which is much more, much more than anything the enemy can throw at us. Much more than anything that you have to deal with. Much more than the pressure that people put you under. Much more than anything you've been through. He is a God of abundance way above everything. And that's what he's offering us. And we just get a hold of it. And we go for it. And we will see it. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Amen. See, it's about training. It's just training yourself to be who you are. And to do that, you don't have to get a few muscles in line and a few brain cells in line and go through a few things where you make difficult choices. And if you'll do that, you will see the most incredible things and the most incredible change in your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.